Welcome, everybody. My name is Stephen Kohler, and on behalf of everybody here at Audio Labs, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome my good friend, mentor, fellow musician, and leader extraordinaire, Chris Shevink. Chris, welcome. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you on. You're welcome. Good to be here. Good to see you after all these years. Uh, you as well. For our, our listeners and viewers, of course, here at Audira, we love to focus on the, the art of li uh, listening as it relates to leadership. And when I thought of potential leaders to have on our series, Chris Shevink is emblematic when I think about uh, leaders who listen for a lot of reasons. She's, of course, as we'll learn more about, president and CEO of Sure Incorporated, I would say the world's leading global audio manufacturer of many audio products, uh, wired and wireless microphones earphones and listening solutions, conferencing systems, and many other products. Um, but most importantly, I really think they help uh, all of us that are connected to the world of audio and communication really learn how to listen to one another and sound extraordinary. So Chris, with that as background, just thank you for joining us today. It's really good to be here. So maybe for our listeners, uh, you're obviously a multi, what I would call a multifaceted leader in many ways. You are a musician. Uh, you are a parent, uh, you are an engineer, you are a CEO. Maybe you can provide just a little bit of background for those of us that may know a little less about your background. Of course. Well, um, it's hard to believe, but in June, I celebrated 32 years with Sure. And it just occurred to me the other day, I did some math. Sure has been around for 96 years. So I have been at Sure for a third of Sure's history. So hard for me to believe, but I did come to Sure right out of college. So I was a mechanical engineer. And my early years at Sure, I was very heavily involved in quality and manufacturing engineering. And that's that's my passion. You know, when I was in college, every summer job that I had was in a factory. And, you know, that's kind of like my comfort zone is like making things and, and being in the factory. So I, I started going for my master's degree at, at Sure about six years into, um, into my ride at the company, because I knew I wanted to start to do some more outside of just the hands-on, you know, manufacturing and quality engineering. And at some point in my career, I kind of lost out on a promotion and I didn't really know why it's so I asked my boss about it. And I realized at that point that I wasn't really being an advocate for myself and I hadn't told anybody that I was interested in management. So that was out there. I was able to communicate that. And I went and got my master's degree at Northwestern at the time that sure was headquartered in Evanston. So that worked out quite well. And shortly after finishing that degree and getting some more experience, um, I became Sure's vice president of quality in 1997. So again, when I do the math and think about it, I've been a member of Sure's executive team now for 24 years, very long time, very different incarnations of different teams throughout, you know, more than two decades, but been a member of that executive team for that long. And so did the vice president of quality for a few years, and then I branched out from there and actually got all of operations included with that. So this was the early 2000s, and I was involved with all of Schur's manufacturing, you know, all the plants that we had at that time, the procurement, the supply chain logistics, and of course, still quality. And that was the era of, you know, a lot of outsourcing and offshoring. So there was a lot of transformation that occurred in the six years that I was in that operations role. 
And just when I had kind of, you know, completed a lot of those assignments um, at the time, Mrs. Schur and uh, Sandy Lamantia, my predecessor, asked me if I wanted to take on something new. And I thought, well, maybe they're just going to have me do engineering now or something. And what they actually had in mind was sales and marketing. So 2006, I became the head of sales, Schur, uh, or Schur's sales and marketing. And, you know, that may seem like a very hard left turn, you know, going from hard manufacturing and engineering into the world of sales and marketing. But remember, at that point, I'd also been a member of Schur's executive team for about 10 years. So very, I think, wise on the part of uh, Sandy and Mrs. Schur to figure it was time for me to get some more experience over on the customer side of the fence, even though I had been going to trade shows. I was very intimate with what was happening with our sales and marketing plans, being a member of the executive team. But it was 10 years of being really immersed in our global markets around the world. And um, a lot of transformation occurred within that time. We started you know, penetrating even further into more of our non-US markets and had the opportunity to travel the world and get to know all of our customers in you know, more than 140 different countries around the world. So I did that for 10 years until 2000, and then, uh, I'm sorry, 2016. And that's when I became president and CEO of Sure. So I've been doing that now for five years, which honestly, it feels like about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on uh, such an amazing journey. And I, I didn't mention this at the beginning, but obviously I had the, the great privilege of working with Chris for some portion of, of that journey that uh, you just outlined starting in the 90s. Uh, during uh, that operations role, and then later in your sales and marketing leadership, and of course, yeah. briefly during your CEO. So I know I learned a tremendous amount during that time. And I just want to highlight uh, so many of the qualities that we'll talk about in a moment that I appreciated about your humility, your curiosity, and just your passion uh, for leadership and the associates and the customers, just truly inspiring. Thank you. I appreciate that. So you highlighted kind of that now 32-year journey, at least within Sure, that you've had. Maybe for our listeners and our viewers, what are a couple of the, the leadership lessons that you've learned and kind of taken forward over that time? Well, I just, I glommed onto one word that you just said, and that was the word listening. And mm -hmm. I think about that, you know, I, I think I've been told that I'm a good listener and a good learner. And I, you know, I think you can learn a lot more by keeping your mouth shut sometimes. And I think that goes both with, what happens internally at the company, and then of course outside of our four walls. So I, I try to stay as in tune with everything as I can, which of course over the last year and a half internally has been difficult as more of our associates have been remote. And so at Sure, we do a lot of listening. We do a lot of associate surveys, trying to keep a pulse on what's on people's minds. And we have very high participation rates on our surveys. And I think the last survey that we did, we got something like 2,500 comments back. So there's a lot of data to pour through, a lot of information to look at. And uh, as we've all had to like work more remotely over the last year and a half, I've been doing virtual roundtables with all different associates globally. And that's kind of actually opened up a little bit of a door to me. I used to like do... Um, in-person roundtable meetings, like when I was traveling or just do them here at, at company headquarters. And I realized that virtual doors actually kind of opened up and I'm able to do more of those kind of listening sessions now, just by using these kind of tools that we didn't probably fully utilize prior to the pandemic. So that's been really useful for sitting and listening. I normally try to pick 
two or three topics of the day that are on my mind and I share them with associates and I try to get feedback on, on how they're feeling about those topics or any input that they, they have. Mm. And then on the outside world, of course, we try to listen to our, our customers. The meeting that I just came out of before coming to see you relates to the journey that we're on around digital transformation. And, and I know that's a term that everybody uses, but for me, what felt really good about how this project, particular project is proceeding is we're back into that whole, like, get a day in the life with that end user again and understand not just like, not just asking them, like, what kind of a solution do you want? What kind of different microphone do you want? Because you're going to get a certain answer on that. But it's really about living a little bit in their world, mm-hmm. understanding, like, why are they using that microphone? What's the greater problem they're trying to solve? What's their actual job? What's the actual sort of journey that they're on to try to get their job done? And uh, we just are completing this one project. And it was so exciting to see us kind of getting that intimate relationship again with that end user and being shoulder to shoulder with them and trying to solve their problems by watching, observing, and listening again, mm-hmm. and not just, not just asking, you know, what kind of feature do you want? Or, mm-hmm. you know, the typical kind of question we might otherwise ask. So listening, listening, and listening, it's a, it's a big part of, of what we all have to do in roles like this. It's so inspiring, Chris, and congratulations on walking the talk as it relates to that listening in so many different ways. And you, you were talking about one of the many ways that you're listening, not just you, but the, the entire organization. And you talked about the employees. And I know one of the biggest themes that many organizations are working through right now is this idea of you know work from home and work-life integration and how do we balance those. What learnings would you say you've learned at Shore and how are you kind of applying those for, uh, for the associates right now? Well, I'll use the word listening again. Our team that we had put together to kind of look at how are we going to be operating when we're kind of emerging from this pandemic situation, which had most of our associates at home. We did, I think, something on the number of about 20 to 30 focus groups with associates globally. It's probably even a little bit higher than that, involving hundreds of of people that we got input from. We did surveys with people and We culminated all this data together. We worked with an outside firm also to kind of help us do some benchmarking with what other companies were doing, because we know we have to be competitive. We can't just, you know, have our blinders on and think about what's best for sure. We have to think about what are other employers doing and do we need to kind of match that? So we arrived at the conclusion that we need to have a hybrid work environment. And so we've officially implemented that. And I feel like it's a win-win. I feel like it's a best of both worlds because people get that flexibility of being able to kind of flex back and forth between home and office. And the office time, I think, is essential for bringing people together and having those face-to-face sort of like brainstorming interactions. The more creative side of the job, whether you're a team that's trying to create a new product or a team working on a marketing campaign, there, I don't think there's too much that beats standing up next to that whiteboard and mapping things out and bouncing ideas off of each other. So we've gone to the hybrid uh, work environment. I think it went, we announced that just a couple of months ago in an all hands town hall meeting. And I think it's gone over pretty well. And uh, we still have plenty of lessons learned and we'll still have to keep listening to figure out where we would need to tweak along the way. But I think it's, it's opens up doors in, in many ways. And there is an option for people to work fully remote if it makes sense for their role. And I think what that affords a company in Chicago to be able to do is get talent in many different parts of the world that you may not otherwise have been able to. We've hired several people 
in the last couple of quarters that probably two years ago we would not have because for whatever circumstances, they could not relocate. And we would have told them they would have to come to Chicago, right? So now we've been able to bring on new talent that we were kind of, the door was kind of closed on that before. And I think that is, I think that's a huge gain for us. That's brilliant. You know, and it's, I had the opportunity of living this, but you know, there's so many examples where, gosh, going back to 1925, right? For those of us that may not know, this sure has always been what I would say on the leading edge of needs, trends, well before it became trendy, including, I would say, you know, this idea of what does the work from home or uh, remote workplace look like? And I just want to give you and everybody a sure huge credit for that. You know, the other thing that, that I love that you pointed to in this idea of listening, particularly to its employees is I'd love to get your talk, uh, your thought on, there's been a lot of discussion about DEI and how we can apply that into the workplace. And of course, Sure has always been, I think, walking the talk as it relates to core values around this topic. Can you speak to how Sure is applying that right now? Absolutely. And this is a perfect time to be talking about it because we're sitting here in September of 2021. And we're just about encroaching on the one year anniversary of when I officially kicked off a more formalized version of inclusion, diversity, equity, access. We call it IDEA. It's a clever little acronym, I guess. Love it. It gets all it gets all of those important words together in one place. And we, again, we like to collect our data around here. We did benchmarking of what other companies are doing. And you just mentioned the long heritage that sure has around our core values and how those aren't just words on paper. We really do live those. There, there was a thought that maybe that was enough to be doing right now and to kind of amplify those a little bit, which was true, but we realized we had to do even more than just what the core values were stating. So we didn't have things in place at Shore like resource groups. You know, there's different kinds of affinity resource groups that you can put together at a company. So we knew we needed to lift something off the ground like that. So a year ago in September, I started an advisory council. I selected 16 different associates around the globe to join me along with some of the executive staff sponsors. And we figured out firstly, how can we start something like associate resource groups? And then how do we start getting more information and education out about you know the whole notion of why diversity and inclusion is important in a company and what does that mean? So I guess I'll talk about listening again. We did yet another survey. So we did a different survey specifically related to those kind of topics around do you feel included at work? And you know, if you don't feel included at work, why is that? What does that look like? And that was another very highly sort of filled out survey. I think we got you know thousands of comments on that one too. And it pointed us in a couple of different directions. So starting the resource groups up, but education is just a huge, huge component that we have so many different assets, you know, that we can employ, whether it's virtual meetings like you know you and I are having right now or our corporate communications, you know, blasting out, you know, information, or just relying on other people for, for education. So those have been the pillars of what we've been working on over the last year. And we still have a ton of work to do. We need to have more resource groups in place, but I feel very good that we've started liftoff at this point. And, uh, you know, I, I hope to see the results in some of our numbers changing over time. We were very transparent in sharing numbers with all associates in terms of what does diversity at sure look like. And, you know, very simply, we, we, we don't have the same mix of population 
in cities like Chicago that the city itself reflects. We're not reflective of that internally. So we know we have work to do, but we're open in sharing that information and you know, asking people to join us on the journey of trying to change what that looks like. That's so inspiring. And bravo for, again, applying that theme of listening, applying this idea of transparency, sharing that with the associates, and then being very intentional about what you want that vision to look like in terms of kind of what that mix looks like today and what you'd love for that to look like, and then empowering your associates to help make that, you know, become true. Now, for, for those of our listeners who may not know this, you're obviously a musician in good keeping with Schur's philosophy. I know, I, you use that word very loosely, Stephen. I will say that, you know. <laughs> for those who don't know, what instrument or instruments do you play, Chris? I play piano and French horn. Beautiful, beautiful. And I'd love to pivot back to leadership. What are maybe a couple of metaphorical lessons do you think you've gained as a musician in the world of leadership lessons over the years, you think? Well, you know, I, I like my metaphors and I've thought about this one a lot throughout the years. And one thing I know about playing in groups and, you know, because I'm a French horn player, I didn't get to play in cool bands like you do, Stephen. But, you know, I was in a lot of band and orchestra growing up. And I can say that you're only a group like a band or an orchestra is only as strong as its weakest link. So, you know, you might have a phenomenal woodwind section but then you have these raucous trumpets and, you know, they just kind of, it's always the trumpets, by the way. <laughs> They're always you know? in the way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so that can kind of screw up the whole thing. So as the orchestra leader, you know, what you have to do is kind of pick the pieces that maybe downplay the trumpets a little bit and play up those woodwinds. And so I think the analogy in businesses, and we, we use this term a lot at sure, you know, we need to play to our strengths. And sometimes we've gone after markets and, you know, we're just banging our head against the wall. And after some point, you have to realize that maybe we're not really leveraging our strengths here. Maybe it's time to retreat from that. But you know what? 10 years later, your talents, your core competencies may have shifted a little bit. And it may be time for you to go back and try that again. So, you know, sometimes we've dipped our toe into markets. It hasn't worked. We retreated, but then we've gone back again. So, but that's knowing where our strengths are. And I think that very much applies to the individual too. And I have a very big passion about performance management. I had a, I kind of had an aha moment once listening to noted speaker Marcus Buckingham uh, talk about his philosophy of HR and performance management. And I realized that a lot of managers spend a lot of time trying to improve certain skill sets of associates, you know, like this is, these are the weaknesses, right? If you want to call them that, the opportunities, and we need to work on honing those as opposed to why not spend 80% of your time focused more on that person's strengths. So So if somebody is a darn good woodwind woodwind player, do you really want them to go and become well-rounded and try that trumpet out? What's the point in that? You know, have them really hone their craft and spend more of your time trying to figure out where do they fit into the organization, given that they have those strengths, instead of spending 80% of your time saying, you know, here's the stuff that has to be improved. That's just kind of fruitless on, on both sides of the equation. And, you know, playing to your strengths is just a theme that I very much believe in. What a great philosophy. And I love that metaphor of, you know, from a, from an ensemble performance perspective, let's lean into the clarinet player. That's a rock star clarinet, right? Not necessarily try to change who they are, right? Or how can we get maybe a little less volume out of the trumpet players and still have them be who they are? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, so uh, maybe last question as we wrap up on the musical theme, 
Who are you listening to right now from a musical artist perspective? Well, you know, first of all, I just heard that on Monday night this past week, Metallica had a surprise perform. Were you at that? You were probably at No, that. I was no. down the street. I heard, yeah, at Metro, right? So I don't know what it is, but I got very nostalgic. And I, when it's back to school time, I always get really nostalgic about like when I was going back to school. And so I kind of go back to my era. And so lately there's a lot of, you know, 80s stuff that I've been listening to. I'm going back and there's a lot of Tom Petty and Jackson Brown and groups like that. And even some Annie Lennox recently kind of got me nostalgic. And as you know, as a, as a Minnesota girl, I always have to listen to my Prince. So I don't know. I've been, I've been going back to those roots lately. <laughs> I love it. Congratulations. Yeah. By the way, I've got, I've been listening to Jackson Brown all week and just incredible. And I did see Guns N' Roses four days ago at Wrigley. So I, I'm, I'm there with I you. Know you. I know you well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much. Really appreciate any final kind of things that you'd like to share with our listeners today on behalf of Shore. Well, you know, we just, I think we had a couple of themes in our conversation, the importance of listening and the importance of playing to your strengths. And I don't know, just kind of keep those in your mind every day. I know I do. Chris, thank you so much. I'm really, really grateful for your time and your insights. I welcome everybody to please check out sure.com for all of their exciting innovation. And Chris, wishing you all the best in your journey and looking forward to talking soon. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Take care. Cheers. Thank you. Bye.